Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and this is part two of my Smart Cities discussion with Chris Castro of the City of Orlando. If you missed part one, we talked about cities being the beacon of hope and smart cities really being the nexus of sustainability and technology. Chris talked about some of the challenges that local governments face with procurement and the risks of inherent with these new technologies. Now, in part two, we're going to look at the issues of equity and access to new technologies, the importance of strong leadership, the imperative of tracking progress, and the delicate balance of privacy, security, and transparency. Chris, I'd like to talk a bit about how everyone in our communities can benefit from living in a smart city. That equity and access piece is so important, as you know. Uh, As part of my sustainability and climate action consulting business, we are doing quite a bit of this. I have a dashboard that local governments use to engage community members. And, you know, I think thinking about kind of this whole smart city approach, technology can be great, but it also can be another divide. Um, so mm-hmm. how, are, how are we ensuring the benefits of your smart city initiatives or, and or the technologies that you're selecting are really going to be, you know, equitably available, accessible, you know, really thinking about how we bring everybody along for the ride? Yeah, truthfully, I mean, this is something we are still grappling with and and trying to figure out because, of course, the services that we're providing as a city need to be offered to every single resident, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of where they live or, uh, you know, you know, where they are in their lives. And and so, you know, our hope is that as we're rolling out technologies, that it is available for for any person, um, regardless of their status. Um, you know, I think a good example, and I'm going to give a shout out here to the city of Columbus, their smart cities challenge that they won through the U.S. Department of Transportation was trying to focus on solving the, the infant mortality uh, gap that they were seeing, some of the highest, uh, you know, uh, rates in the entire country. And a big problem was transportation availability and mobility uh, to get to and from doctor's visits and and appointments for specifically pregnant women. And and their idea was to figure out how to use technology and mobility as a service in order to get and solve solve that Mm -hmm. gap, right? I think it is very interesting. And and I felt that that was a brilliant idea. That's an exact, um, that's a perfect example of how Columbus stepped back, looked at a key root problem around infant mortality being, I think it was three or four times higher than most communities around the country, and said, how do we use technology, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, um, in order to get these individuals, these mothers, to and from their doctor's appointments and hopefully see uh, that challenge completely curbed in in the positive uh, direction. Uh, We are still identifying ways in which we can enable, as an example, public Wi-Fi for people who don't have access, as well as potentially digital kiosks within our downtown and some of the hotspot areas where individuals who may not own a smartphone can still get access to you know, identifying uh, mobility options from links and and ways to get to and from either their job or some type of destination um, through through infrastructure that's that's invested in either by the city or one of our partners. So um, so th- those are some examples. But I truthfully I think that all cities are trying to figure out how to make 
this equitable and available to everyone, regardless of your, your current socioeconomic status. And, you know, as you're talking, I keep thinking, I mean, of course, again, as I said, it's so inspiring hearing everything that the city's been doing, even just the last few years. Um, how much would you say is it really having that strong leadership in Mayor Dyer? Um, you know, there's lots of cities that have plenty of competent staff, but maybe don't have an enlightened leader. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could maybe reflect on what, what you think um, the impact is having that leadership at the at the top versus if it needs to be kind of grassroots. I, I think it's invaluable to have the leadership, Mayor Dyer, our CAO, Byron Brooks, um, you know, our head of uh, our CFO, Chris McCullian, our CIO, Rosa Akhtakari, myself as director of sustainability, the leadership of, of the city um, really understood that this is where it needed to go. And when we presented this opportunity to Mayor Dyer, he immediately knew that in order for Orlando to stay competitive in the 21st century, to attract the creative class, to attract the talent and jobs we need to make our economy robust, we must we must make sustainability and technology a priority in how we move uh, forward into the future. And that charge, that blessing from leadership, I think has given myself and our entire steering committee, which I haven't talked about how we structure ourselves, but we have an entire executive steering committee um, that's helping to move this agenda forward. It, it charged us to continue to innovate and look at ways in which we can really integrate this into the culture of the city of Orlando, our municipal government and the community at large. Um, So I do think it's imperative Um, and it it may be a struggle for some cities around the country who don't have uh, a mayor who who truly embraces and understands the importance of innovation and and technology in, in our future. Um, but it's not the end-all, be-all. I do think in addition to the leadership of Mayor Dyer, there's this upwelling of community support that we've that I think is unparalleled from, from what I've seen in many other cities. There's the Orlando Tech Association. There's several other Code for Orlando group, the academic institutions, both UCF, Valencia College, Florida Polytechnic, all of them at the same time almost, have all started to speak the same language and say, hey, this is an opportunity that's coming up and we all need to start collaborating. So I think it's, it's really been not only the leadership of the city, but a lot of our partners, Links as our transit authority, right? UCF as our main academic institution, even, even FDOT um, in transportation and, and the work that they're trying to use to improve mobility um, and relieve congestion on our roadways. Um, it, it's very much a, a partnership-driven model, and uh, there's several examples that I can share on how we've gotten to this point because of that. Yeah, and I, I'd love to have you share those because I do think it's really important. I think a lot of times, especially in, in communities that maybe aren't as far along as Orlando, it it feels like an uphill battle, and uh, you might be the only one in the room talking about this, and you know, maybe you are lucky to have a mayor who's willing to take some chances Um but it is interesting to see how sometimes very quickly partnerships can can really find their way to you because they just hadn't heard you talking about this before and all of a sudden ears perk up. So, you know, why don't you give us one of the examples that you wanted to share on our partnerships? Sure. So there's two really good ones that I want to mention that are that are um, relevant to this conversation. One is what's called the Metro Lab Network. 
This is open to any city out there listening in on this podcast. And it was established back in 2015 to create a city university collaborative around researching, developing, and deploying smart cities technologies. That's really the whole entire framework why it was even in existence. Orlando saw this opportunity and uh, immediately joined as one of the first 10 city cohorts. And we approached the University of Central Florida and we approached Florida Polytechnic University as a three-way partnership to begin looking at uh, several different R&D opportunities, one being autonomous and connected vehicles, the second being solar harnessing for the electrification of transportation, and third, how do we improve public transportation by enabling real-time travel information for all modes of transit, everything from our sunrail to our buses to the limo to EV charging stations to bike share, you name it, even travel information about our, our roadways. Um, and, and so those were the three areas that we all identified as common denominators that either we were working on or seeking funding and, and support to work on. And, and that has really created a very strong network with the academic community in Orlando. It's imperative to bring in our universities and our colleges, not only for the talent of the students, but the research dollars that come with and the ability for them to, to you know, work very closely with the city on the deployment of their research to pilot out these solutions, right? And so that's the beauty of MetroLab. Um, an example, so, so autonomous and connected vehicles I mentioned was one of those three major R&D uh, projects, and we identified um, that USDOT was soliciting for these proving ground destinations around the country. They wanted to select 10 cities nationwide to be proving ground destinations for autonomous, connected, and electric vehicles. And of course, we saw an opportunity to say, hey, let's leverage MetroLab and let's bring in several other intergovernmental partners that we've uh, developed and created what's called the Central Florida Automated Vehicle Partnership, or CFAVP. And CFAVP brought together everything from Florida Turnpike to FDOT, NASA Kennedy Space Center by the coast, all of the academic institutions, the city, the county, the airport. Um, and we essentially um, pulled together our resources and ended up becoming designated as one of these 10 cities world, uh, nationwide to start testing the future of advanced vehicle technologies. And since then, over the last, we got designated earlier this year in January, and since then have already started to move very quickly down testing electric buses in the downtown limo, even having conversations with autonomous electric shuttles for UCF's main campus and their downtown campus. Um, we're talking about truck platooning for major 18-wheelers down one of our uh, highways, the Central Florida Expressway Authority, uh, and the groundbreaking just recently, last Monday, of what's called SunTracks which is a two-and-a-half-mile test loop, almost like a Daytona Speedway track, so to speak, of, uh, that is currently now broken ground and in the next year will be developed uh, to start testing everything from bus transit, 18-wheelers, single automobiles, and even bicycling and pedestrian technologies for the future uh, of how mobility will, will work in a city. Um, so that's an example of how we brought together academia, other public governments, uh, and, uh, and ourselves to, to create this partnership and, and then move our collective agendas forward and, and be designated by, by the DOT, which was a huge win for Central Florida. So hearing about all of these partnerships, the first thing that just comes to my mind is, how do you have the time for all of this? 
<laughs> I'm thinking like, I mean, I remember just in your role without all these extra opportunities, just your yeah. basic role in a local government is really more than a full-time job. And then you Very add true. in all these extra things because most of us in this space, you know, we're driven by passion, right? It's not a job. It's, it's our mission in life. Uh, and so you're like super excited and you're like, yep, 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 yep. I mean, exactly. I guess I'm just thinking from a logistical standpoint for some of our colleagues on, on listening here, like, how do you do it, Chris? How do you? And I know you're a new dad on top of that. So uh, that's very true. Where do you I'm, find I'm the a time? Unique, <laughs> I'm a unique animal. I will tell you that, um, you know, I, I'm first and foremost, the team that has been pulled together, both in my office of sustainability and the steering committee around smart cities is number one, first and foremost, the reason why we're able to do everything that I'm talking about. This is certainly nothing that I've done personally on my own. This is something that I've worked and collaborated across our departments with my colleagues and peers here at the city and even partners outside of the city in order to achieve. And it would not have happened with me just as an individual. That saying, I, I do think that it's important um, that that we do find individuals who align their passion with what we're trying to do. And for me, as, as you know, Kim, and, and, and engaging with me on many different occasions, this concept of sustainability and smart cities is who I am, not what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to identify individuals who truly have that intersection because it's very true that I don't have my your traditional eight-hour cushy government job. Um, it's much longer in time that I'm spending, sometimes working even on the weekends. And, and that really comes down to, you know, being driven by my passion and the fact that I don't know the difference between work and play, that's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so that, it's a great thing, but it's also, you know, really challenging, especially as a new dad, as you mentioned. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to stress and uh, make sure that uh, you all realize that this is something that is completely a team effort. Um, our head of public works, Rick Howard, our CIO, Rus Akhtakari, um, you know, our, our head of strategic partnerships, Kathy DeVault, our chief operating officer, Byron Brooks, and deputy officer, Kevin Edmonds, uh, myself, and then, of course, the co-chair, Charles Ramdat, who him and I really have been tag-teaming this concept of smart cities since day one. Um, all of us are collaborating very regularly, and we're, we're, we're dividing and conquering. And together, we're, we're a very strong unit and achieving a lot of the outcomes that you're hearing about uh, today. And of course, my role as sustainability director plays in almost every single one of the verticals, as I mentioned. So I have a hand in pretty much all of these different projects in one way or another, um, which again, I, I really enjoy doing. But you know what I love about how you explain that is just it sounds like your role really is mapped out how a true sustainability director is supposed to be. You know, yes. I know and you're very much aware as, as I, I am that a number of your colleagues have kind of been pigeonholed into doing everything themselves um, mm -hmm. and not having the luxury of really being um, a facilitator, a driver of energy, you know, the go-getter and, and getting that going, but really having the ability to work with a full team. So kudos very to true. you and the city of Orlando for really making that happen. Yep. Because again, you've given us a lot of great examples of stuff that you're doing. You know, myself, KLA here, we are big on data and uh, we love turning data into stories uh, because we think they compel action based on neuroscience, right? So mm -hmm. how are you all, uh, 
you know, tracking? What are some of the performance metrics that you're looking at as part of your overall smart city sustainability initiative? Are there, I mean, I'm assuming there's both kind of outcomes as well as outputs, but, you know, do you have a framework in place to, to track your progress? Well, truthfully, that framework is currently being finalized. And so, yes, in short, we do have goals. We have strategies we've identified in each one of the verticals. We've even identified the KPIs so that we can start to track our progress over time, whether it's crime rates, um, whether it's improvement in in travel time uh, for individuals, right, whether it's the efficiency of our resources and and cost-effectiveness of running and operating the city uh, through through efficiency and and the like. Uh, So we we have identified that framework. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is uh, the challenges that cities grapple with with this, you know, with this topic of smart cities, and that is finding the balance between privacy, security, and trans and transparency, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's, what it's all about. Is it's, there's this fear, of course, of big brother local government controlling my data, controlling my every move, and at the same time wanting that data so that I can make a more intelligent, informed decision, right? And so it's this very delicate balance around privacy, security, and transparency that governments are trying to still figure out. I don't think anybody has solved it. I'd say the best example that I have heard and I've engaged with is Smart Dubai, of course, the UAE has the poster child, right, for for smart cities. I met Dr. Aisha at a smart cities week in D.C. about a year ago, and and she was talking about smart Dubai, and she talked about this challenge and and how they've solved it using kind of three layers of data. They have this, um, they have completely privatized data that is only available to you as an individual, right? They have another layer of data that's intergovernmental data that could let's let's use your health information right instead of you going to the hospital and the dentist and etc and filling out the exact same forms there's actually this data layer that's only available to intergovernmental agencies hospitals dnvs your local government your county your tax records all of that data which is only purview to yourself and the local government agencies and then you have this final layer of data, which is this open and transparent information, information about the number of vehicles or the number of people and pedestrian counts in a certain part of our city, or, or crime data, right? One of the initiatives we've launched in Orlando is an open data portal launched by our IT department, um, and it basically publishes arrest records and shooting records from police in real time. So as we're going through and somebody is getting documented based on some type of crime, we are making that fully transparent to the public, of course, to to build that type of relationship and be transparent as a local government as it relates to public safety. So you can look at the the demographic of the cop, the demographic of the person, the actual crime that happened, when it happened, where it happened, and, and that information is being utilized by the uh, by the community by the technology community to quote unquote hack and and essentially find information and anomalies that that we may or may not have known without that information right they're analyzing this open data and they're identifying areas where we can have citywide surveillance to improve public safety without you know, need to essentially invest in more police officers, as an example, right, uh, through, through surveillance, right? So they're taking this open data information, which is that third layer of, of data, and they're now crunching and analyzing and finding hotspots of where shootings occur and where, you know, uh, domestic violence may be occurring or where just regular assaults are occurring. 
and and it's funny to kind of see the analysis because you know some of the assaults are nearby certain times at night where you know there's a lot of nightlife happening and a lot of your you know open bars and, and stuff like that and and you'll see that the hot spot around assaults happen to be in that area and you're like oh well that makes a lot of sense <laughs> um so so it's just interesting in terms of how we're grappling with this concept of privacy security and transparency and moving forward this is something from a governance perspective that cities are going to need to address in order to really embrace um, smart cities and, and the technological revolution that we're in. Awesome. I think that is such an uh, important differentiator as far as understanding kind of those challenges and really thinking about it because privacy always comes up whenever we're talking about public data. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely going to look into the Smart Dubai um, case a little bit more. You know, I, I guess I'm curious if you feel like the culture in, in the U.S. is just always going to make it a little bit more difficult uh, than some other countries have it when you're trying to address that balance uh, between, as you're saying, That's privacy, true. security, and transparency. I, I agree that, that probably culture plays a significant role in whether or not that's embraced or not. And Dubai is a completely different culture than we are. Uh, so, so that's a fantastic point. Um, uh, you know, getting people engaged in these initiatives um, is, is what's going to allow them to feel safe and comfortable with the city rolling out technologies, right? Um, you know, getting them engaged in, as an example, community forums. And, and we just recently held these hackathons. Uh, around smart cities with our local universities, with UCF and other tech community uh, organizations. And, and we basically provided a number of open source data that was, you know, basically anonymous. It didn't have any personalized information, but anonymous data about travel time, about public safety. And, and the individuals came up with incredible business models and, and ideas for the city to improve uh, a number of different things. And, and just this past Friday, I brought the winners, the four top teams of that last hackathon that we held a couple months ago, to City Hall, and we held a little lunch and learn with some of the top directors and division managers across the city that were relevant, and had these students and these emerging uh, young professionals present their findings and their business ideas, and some of them really got us thinking about how to incorporate uh, these models. So I think it's important that community engagement, like many things, is a huge part of how we roll this effort out and hopefully builds a culture of people who truly embrace this revolution that the governments are going through and, and um, don't stifle the, the growth of it because we don't want to continue to be a rotary landline phone in terms of how we operate. We, we do want to move into this digital platform as a city and engage our residents in, a, in an improved way. Yeah. So one last question for you. Uh, as the, a smart city guru, uh, you've won lots of accolades in the field and without giving away any uh, secret sauce, uh, wondering if you can kind of share what you see as the next big thing, whether for Orlando or just in general for leading smart cities. Yeah, that's hard to pinpoint on on one example because I think in each one of the verticals that we're talking about, there are uh, amazing things that are happening in in the realm of transportation and mobility. We're seeing disruption with autonomous and connected vehicles. Uh, we are are looking at rolling out um, an entire autonomous vehicle mobility initiative in in downtown Orlando within the coming year. 
that, that may be a point-to-point service that people can call upon via an app to basically get an autonomous shuttle to and from some type of destination or from your parking garage to, to the Amway Arena to see some type of concert. Um, we uh, are also looking at uh, working with OUC to deploy some smart streetlight technology. And smart streetlights have been known as, quote, unquote, the gateway drugs to smart cities. <laughs> so, so, so when you're looking at what you can do in terms of partnerships, it's one, with your utility, and two, how do we use these existing assets as a streetlight that just provides really one service right now and, and use that as a, a kind of infrastructure that could incorporate several different types of, of technologies, environmental monitoring for particulates and air pollution. You can use it for video surveillance. You can actually use it for gunshot detection in certain high crime areas that immediately communicate to the nearest police officer, as an example. Um, you, can, you can use it for Wi-Fi and the boosting of our uh, distributed antenna systems to ensure you know, connectivity as we densify within our cities. So, so there's a lot of really exciting things happening around street lighting and, and this concept of smart street lighting uh, that I would really look into. And, and then lastly for Orlando, um, one of the major commitments we recently made is we were the 40th city and one of the largest cities in the country to commit towards moving towards 100% renewable energy, both for municipal operations and citywide. Um, these are very ambitious goals, but the mayor realized that we could be a hub for clean energy and the clean energy economy um, across the region. And uh, as, as a kind of putting our stake in the ground, we, we passed a policy in early August that made a commitment towards that future. And so right now I'm working very closely with OUC, with some national labs, uh, as well as, of course, UCF and the academic partners that we've developed to start looking at, um, you know, essentially capacity forecasting, network upgrades to our electric grid, potential generation uh, locations, and even looking at floating floating solar. So we've actually, uh, OUC deployed a floating solar array on top of one of our lake bodies, hmm. 35 kilowatt grid tied system. And when you fly into Orlando, you realize we're in Atlantis in reverse. We're essentially fully covered <laughs> by water all over the place. And, um, you know, so, so there's a potential to utilize some of these stormwater ponds that really just capture rainwater to produce clean, renewable ele- electricity without the need of cutting out green spaces to, to produce that power. Um, so we're really excited about the transformation towards a clean energy future in Orlando, and those are just, just a handful of some of the really exciting things on the rise. That's awesome. I love that. And we'll have to do a follow-up uh, podcast once you get those up and running. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be happy to. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's so fun talking to you. I mean, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. Um, and I think you bring such a unique perspective both to local government and to your role. So, you know, thank you so much for all you do. And I've got kind of a couple points here I want to summarize for our listeners. Um you know, when we're thinking about smart cities, there's lots of definitions out there, but I think I liked what you said, Chris, around really just focusing on it being the nexus between sustainability and technology and how you're leveraging that to create a better community. Um, you know, there's sounds like there's lots of opportunities if you have leadership from the top, uh, connect with a lot of partners on the ground, but be sure not to uh, chase any shiny new tools that you don't need. And and remember, you know, you need to find that balance between privacy, security, and transparency. And finally, uh, probably my favorite quote from you today, Chris, is, you know, just remember local governments are a beacon of hope. 
and be sure that you're bringing uh, every member of your community along for that for that ride to be part of that future. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Any Fantastic recap. <laughs> Thank no, you. No, no, Kim. This is this has been a pleasure, and I, I hope it's been useful for everybody who is listening. Um, I encourage you all to to reach out and uh, to check out more information on our website, cityoforlando.net slash greenworks can take you straight to our sustainability initiatives. I have uh, an icon there for smart cities and you can look up some of the proposals that, that we've written and that we've been awarded the DOT one as an example uh, and really get a better understanding of, of kind of where we're headed here in Orlando. I think in closing, one of the things that has stuck with me that Mayor Dyer mentioned is how can we become the experimental prototype city of tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? And if you caught that acronym, how do we become the Epcot? of the 21st century, right? <laughs> this this movement has already started way back in the 80s because of the visionary Walt Disney. And I do think that we're now at a point in history where technology and sustainability are coming to a nexus. And because of the visibility that Orlando has as the tourism destination of this country, we could be the showcase of being an experimental prototype city, of showing people around the world how this could enhance quality of life and make our cities a better place to live, work, and play. And, um, and that's really you know, what drives me every single day is, is that vision that Mayor has ingrained in, in, in all of us. And um, you know, hopefully you all can see the the opportunities in your cities as well. Absolutely. And that is such a huge opportunity for you all and for other cities around the country that, you know, have tourism as their, as a, as a primary economic driver. I guess I'm going to ask one more question because I think it's super interesting is, you know, what does Hmm. that look like? You know, engaging your, your community members is hard enough, but what does it look like to engage um, a tourist who maybe is only there for one week? Yeah, I mean, I, um, that's a great that's a great question, Kim, and and I think we're we're starting to flirt with the idea of working with some of our tourism partners um, to ensure that they're incorporating the same vision uh, as we are, as as we're trying to achieve. Um, we held a forum recently at Epcot, of course, perfect nice. venue, uh, with a lot of our community partners. It was a smart cities forum, uh, and and the whole goal was to bring together, you know, all uh, over 40 different public, private, and academic partners to start to work with these these theme parks, these entertainment institutions, and um, and and start to figure out where are the similarities and how can we through our messaging, through our communications, through the experience, how do we really uh, showcase uh, the future of what a city will be uh, like in um, in the coming years and decades as technology and sustainability become become that priority. Um, so we're we're trying to, to you know to really work w- across those sectors and and engage them early on. Uh, as well as some of the, the developers in downtown. Uh, there's a really exciting development happening uh, here with the Orlando Magic, uh, with Disney and a couple of other partners, as well as the UCF Downtown Creative Village. Uh, that's the, the home of the downtown campus. And both of these developments in the heart of downtown uh, are looking to embrace this concept of a smart community, a smart district, and incorporate a lot of the technologies that I've talked about and many others that I haven't talked about um, to, to be that showcase. So uh, it's very much important to work across these sectors, and, and that's, I think, one of the strengths that we've been doing here in Orlando that could be emulated uh, to any city around the country. Wow, this has been a great conversation. Chris, thank you so much for sharing your expertise in Orlando's experience as you're on the forefront of the Smart Cities movement. For all of you SAS Talk listeners out there, make sure you catch part, parts one and two of this chat and visit klasustainability.com to find more resources and insights on Smart Cities.
Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?